Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today we'll be talking about when parents struggle to attach to their adopted child. A really, really important topic and one that I think we don't talk often enough about. I think you will enjoy this show or at least find it very helpful. Here's a sample of what you will hear. It takes about two years before they feel the same level of love for their older adopted child as they do for their birth children. So like you said, grow in love. And other parents have told me that it's kind of like an arranged marriage and that you you grow into the love. And it will happen. And the way to help that happen is to be talking to people about it. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Nonprofit, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. One of the things we do at Creating a Family is we have an online Adopted for Parents Education Center. We have online courses. We have over 100 of them. We actually have a center for social workers, too, where we have uh, courses that have been accredited for CE credit. Um, but today I'm talking about Adopted for Parents. And we have a lot of courses that deal with attachment uh, and helping our children attach to us and recognizing our own struggles in attachment. You can find our online education by going to our website, creatingafamily.org, hovering over the word online courses and clicking on Adopted for Parents. Uh, there's a sorting mechanism on the right-hand side. Uh, you can sort uh, that one of the topics to sort by is attachment. So you can find, I didn't count ahead of time, but I we must have at least 20 uh, courses specifically uh, uh, dealing with attachment in all of its myriad fashions. Uh, and I think you will really find it helpful. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring has a free program they want you to know about, My Fertility Navigator. This program offers free one-on-one support for women who are struggling to get pregnant and are unsure of what their next step should be. Once enrolled in My Fertility Navigator, you'll receive a personalized guidance from a live, dedicated person, uh, a fertility navigator, who will provide information about infertility and fertility, as well as uh, they can direct you towards nearby fertility centers. They can give you information about financial resources. There's just a lot of of information they have. Uh, And what's nice is that you can talk to a real live person. To get more information, you can go to their website, myfertilitynav.com slash CAF. MyFertilityNav.com slash CAF. And the slash CAF is important because it lets them know that you came to them from here. 
This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support from our gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Holt International. They were founded in 1956, and they want every child to have a loving and secure home. They have programs that strengthen and preserve families that that are at risk for separation, and they lead the global community in finding families for children who need them and providing the pre- and post-adoption support they need to thrive. We also have Children's Connection, an adoption agency providing services for domestic infant adoption and embryo donation and adoption throughout the U.S., as well as home home studies and post-adoption support services to families in Texas. In addition to these sponsors, we also have other sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an adoption service provider, please consider using one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, number of years in operation, just a host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And by using these directories, you support those who support us, And we thank you. Today we're going to be talking about the topic of when parents struggle to attach to their adopted child. We'll be talking with Abby Smith. She is an LCSW, licensed clinical social worker, specializing in adoption, and the director of clinical services at Holt International. Perhaps most important, she is an adoptive mom of a child who was adopted at age six from foster care. Welcome, Abby. This is a topic. Thank you, Dawn. Oh, good, thanks. This is a topic that lives in the shadows because I think really it's because there is so much shame and embarrassment associated with it. No one goes into adoption with the idea that they are not going to attach to, attach to their child. We, we, do a, we try to do a good job of educating people ahead of time about the issues of attachment. And quite frankly, we try to do that for both the issues of attaching, for the child attaching to the parent and the parent to the child. But I think we get the message in that, that adopted children, particularly kids who have experienced trauma, physical, emotional, or, or, uh, or prenatal exposures or whatever, uh, may have issues associated with attachment. But the, the message that, that parents, are, that adoption is a two-way street, I think it's, we're a work in progress. One of our most popular and, quite frankly, poignant blogs was based on a question we received. The title of the blog is, I feel like a beast, but I don't love my adopted child. Um, and this, I'm going to read a section of the question that spurred this blog. It was, by the way, the family had adopted a three-and-a-half-year-old. She says, I think she would have an easier time overcoming her attachment issues if I could overcome mine. Everywhere I read, no one has problems with loving and sympathizing with their adopted child, but I do. I feel like a complete beast. I am civil to her, often affectionate, and try to be fair about her rights in the family, but I am unable to fake expressions of love. love. I listened to about 24 of your podcasts preparing for the adoption, especially anything about attachment and parenting, but now that I'm living it, it is a lot harder than I imagined. Do you have any resources on how to help adoptive families form the bond? And on that blog, we've had uh, to date over 82 comments, mostly from others who feel like they are in the same boat, and they just feel awful. I'm going to 
uh, read you one of the comments on the blog too, and then we're going to jump into our uh, our, our discussion here. Uh, this is a comment for, on the blog. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for this blog. For the first time since adopting, one year, four months, and 22 days ago, I feel hopeful and less alone. I have felt such guilt. Oh, my God, the guilt. I don't think I was seeing things clearly. I am calling my agency this week, and if they can't help me, I'm calling a therapist. I pray I can find one that can help me. Abby, we say attachment is a two-way street. How often do you see families where the issue is more that the parents are not attaching to the child than vice versa, the the child is struggling to attach to the parent? Um, I don't know exactly how often um, how to – it's not uncommon, let me say that. So I have our families calling me – it's not surprising. So we do get calls about this issue, and it's, it's very complex. And the things I think that are driving it are very different at different ages of the child coming home. So one of the surprising things we experienced and our families experienced was, oh, about five or six years ago when Korea changed their laws and um, required um, more domestic home finding time before children would be released for international adoption. So parents were expecting their children to come home at like age 12 months and then were caught in this period of waiting and the kids were more like two years when they came home. Mm -hmm. And it was Mm -hmm. such a different experience because um, the children were expressing their grief and terror, so they were aggressive towards the parents. And then this, of course, was very surprising, um, unexpected, and off-putting to the parents. So, you know, they had all this love, ready to love this child, and then the child was fighting them. So it, it became this battle. Other stories that I've heard, too, are that parents um, leave to go pick up their child, you know, with such high expectations and love, and something happens when they meet the child. And they just don't have that loving, they had the loving feeling in expectations, you know, in anticipation. But then it was just, it just died upon that physical first meeting. And as I've thought about this, because these are good parents. These are not awful parents. These are good, loving parents. And as I've been thinking about this over the years, I think there are things that are working against us. One is biology. So when you think about how nature intended, nature did not intend for people to be um, absorbing other people's children. By absorbing, um, you know, we are very attached to our own. We take care of our own. And and we are an advanced species. So, of course, we would want to take care of children that don't have loving homes. But we're not wired for that. So I think that when it comes down to it, we can be fighting nature. Um, That's had, you know, millions of years (laughs) programming us for what um, we're supposed to be doing, and we're trying to go beyond that, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I think that's part of what we run into. Well, yeah, I mean, your your point is is well taken that um, on, on uh, on both counts that expectations and um, 
what uh, perhaps what biologically, although I think it's only fair to point out that I think there are many parents who don't fall instantly in love with their biological children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also it's uh, associated with uh, guilt and shame. Uh, you know, the expectation is that we are going to automatically fall in love. And then I think some of us are just wired to grow in love rather than fall mm-hmm. in love. And so I do think, I, I, I hear your point that one of the uh, uh, issues that, that one of the reasons that I think some parents fail to it, feel like they are failing to attach is a timing thing where they're expecting they were their expectations were they were going to be head over heels immediately and feel like a parent when in fact what they feel like is a babysitter and then they start worrying about it when they really just haven't given it enough time is that a is that something that you see as well Oh, absolutely. It um I've had a, quite a few moms tell me I feel like I'm babysitting somebody else's child 24/7 and I have this feeling of when is this child going to go home. So that's and then the guilt the guilt is so um dangerous, I think. It can be because it it just it can build on itself and it you know, we need to just really accept. I, my advice when I'm talking to parent to moms especially is to just accept that feeling that that's where it is right now and that's part of the process. I've you know, so many moms have told me that it takes about 2 years before they feel the same level of love for their older adopted child as they do for their birth children. So like you said, grow in love. And other parents have told me that it's kind of like an arranged marriage and that you you grow into the love and it will happen. And the way to help that happen is to be talking to people about it. So, you know, having this discussion today is so important to helping these families. Absolutely. Um, I, that, I think it's helpful uh, to know that it's not unusual to take up to two years when you adopt a child who is older, uh, who is uh, past infancy. It's not, a, it's not at all unusual. Um, let's talk a little about another uh, reason you raised, which is unrealistic expectations, um, both unrealistic expectations on ourselves and what we're going to be feeling, as well as unrealistic expectations of how the child is going to act. Um, that uh, we've done, um, we have talked with, uh, we've got a number of courses uh, with experts talking about uh, expectations in adoption. And uh, some will even go so far as to say that the number one problem for uh, adoption failure is uh, adoptive parents going in with unrealistic expectations of the child. Uh, so let's talk a little about expectations, and, and both for the child and for ourselves. Um, I agree with that. The, it, it helps so much more if parents can go into it with an open slate and kind of fill it in as you go. Um, I kind of equate that to... Um, birthing a child when you're kind of wondering, you know, what color eyes, what gender. Of course, now we know more of that. But, you know, what will this personality be like? Um, And 
I think that the kind of process gets clouded when you get information about the child. I'm not saying don't get information, but, you know, I, so often I see parents get the picture and fall in love with the picture and they have it on their um, refrigerator and they start imagining how the relationships are going to be with other children already in the home, you know, what this child is going to be like when they come home. You know, the child material may say, oh, they like music. And liking music in a foreign country in an orphanage can be very different from what it means here when our one of you know a child that's been in the states for a while in our school system and likes music and may be gifted it there's um the context is very very different, so having an open slate and trying to just keep wonder, you know, just being, I wonder, I wonder about this and that rather than thinking they're going to do this and, you know, this is going to be a playmate for my last child and, you know, or I already have one adopted child and this will be the sibling that will make them feel um, complete. Those are all reasons and expectations that I hear from parents, but it's much safer to enter into this process with a curiosity about what's it going to be like? Well, and I will say that and, and, you know, adopting uh, from foster care is, is very similar. We get some information, but we don't get a great deal. And we can, all, we can talk with foster parents and uh, the ch- who is fostering the child and, and the child's caseworker. But the information you get, it's, it's, it's not, you're, you're not living it. So you're not, mm-hmm. um, even though you think you have a lot of information, again, they could say the child loves music. Well, that just means maybe the child likes country western and you like Beethoven. You know, there's, <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily mean what you think it's going to, what it's going to mean. Um, so expectations are, are, are really important. What about the expectations that we've put on ourselves as parents, let's say we're going to adopt from uh, foster care and we've been dreaming about this, we've been taking our classes um, or wherever, we're adopting an older child from international or, or foster, and we've been taking our classes, we've been listening uh, to uh, courses, with, and we've been doing everything we can. And in our imagination, it, we have one expectation for ourselves uh, but when reality may clash with that. So how do we set realistic expectations for ourselves? Well, I, I, I kind of, well, this is, I'm going to take this out of the thinking realm and into more of some self-care. I think that being prepared for the unexpected, that's something that we always try to have our families come down to is expect the unexpected. And, um, the other thing is when I was talking about self-care is I think with when expectations aren't met, um, you know, that self-doubt, that um, putting ourselves down, I think that the best thing we can do is, is stop and start taking physical care of ourselves. Because when we start in that downward thinking spiral, we tend to not take care of ourselves, and then that makes that spiral go down even deeper. So I mean like you know, getting exercise, connecting with other people. So often with connecting with other people, so many people tend to do it when they're feeling good and they want to have fun or they want to share something joyful. And the other part of who we are is that we need to be connecting with other people when things aren't going as we expected. 
and to be reaching out to other people. You know, what I hear from a lot of parents is the problem with connecting with other people is, is, is twofold. One, there is the embarrassment. Everybody expects you to be head over heels wild about this child. And if you're not feeling it, you are embarrassed by that. And the mm-hmm. other thing mm-hmm. is that often people are giving you advice, and and it just isn't helpful. Um, they have not experienced parenting a child that has experienced abuse or trauma or parenting a child that was brought into the family, you know, at age five or six. Mm-hmm. They've never experienced or a child who has prenatal exposure and uh, has the brain damage caused by prenatal exposure. And so your kid isn't acting the way that, that they're expecting it, and you, you end up not feeling supported by the people you've reached out to. Um, so it's kind of like a double-edged sword there because I hear your point. It's really helpful to be around people. So how can we find, how can people find their peeps to be around, either online or in person? Well, on, online is great. In person, I think that um, some ways to approach that is if you have a good friend to tell them, I don't want you to solve this problem, please just listen to me. Because there's so much power in um, reducing our problems just by talking about them. Dan Siegel calls it naming it to tame it. So just by finding someone that you can express um, that I feel guilty or that I'm not attaching to this child can reduce that emotional load for each of us. And if I can, um, there is a book that was written specifically for like family members um, in adoption. It's by Elizabeth O'Toole, and mm-hmm. it's called In on it. And so that's another thing that parents can do, especially the different parenting techniques that our kids need, need um, is to ask your friends and family members that see you with your child a lot to read this book so that you're not explaining all these differences to them. They can get it from the book. And, you know, years ago, post Partum depression was very, very secretive. And, you know, moms felt terrible about not attaching to this newborn. And now I think that's pretty well accepted. And it's also very well documented in the research that there is a post-adoption depression. Same um, experience. It can get into um, a clinical depression, too. So I think that we're on the beginning edge of having these things be more accepted and that more people know about it. Um, But I agree with you, Dawn. It does carry a lot of shame, but there's also, um, just like we did with post-adoption depression, is that, Mm -hmm. you know, if one person can find a way to speak about it, I think that there'll be a domino effect, too. I am so glad you raised post-adoption depression because I, too, think that it is a cause Um, an underlying cause, uh, oftentimes when a parent feels that they are not attaching to the the child. What are some of the signs of post-adoption depression? Um, They'll be similar to, and they differ for men and women. So um, for women, it will be similar to like classic depression. So that would be like a change in your sleep. Either you're sleeping less or you're sleeping more. A change in eating, eating more or eating less, whichever way you tend to to react. Um, A loss of interest in things that you once enjoyed. 
irritability. So, you know, it can be, often it can be anxiety and irritability rather than like, oh, I'm so sad, I'm so depressed. You're just like, all of a sudden it's like you feel like this monster that, you know, oh, I snap at everybody and, you know, I worry about everything and nobody understands. So all of those can be symptoms of um, post-adoption depression for um, women. And it used to be that they thought that if you had experienced post-adoption no, I'm sorry, postpartum depression, that you are more likely to experience postpartum depression. I mean, post-adoption depression. Yeah. i got to get all right. these terms straight. Yeah. But that has been ruled out. That's no longer the case. So um, just because you might have had it with a birth child, don't think that you're going to experience it with an adopted child and vice versa. Now, yeah, exactly. Just because you haven't experienced yeah. it. Uh, after giving birth doesn't mean that you are immune to a post-adoption depression, yes. Exactly, exactly. And I know some very high-functioning women that have experienced post-adoption depression. Um, and, you know, it just takes the rug out from underneath them because it's like, what is this? I, you know, it's not. It's being talked about more and more, and there's a lot of research on it, but it's still something new. And then men experience it a little bit differently. Men will start spending more time away from home. They may start working more, they may start and, and they may start drinking. Um so those are the two um two I don't want to say the two big ones, but those are the two off the top of my head that I can remember how it's different for men, for dads experiencing post-adoption depression. Exactly. Um how long after an adoption I think that people assume that post-adoption depression, if if it's going to be, um, if it's going to be real, it has to happen immediately mm-hmm. after the adoption. How long after an adoption can someone still be uh, suffering from post-adoption depression? Well, I think without intervention, it could go on for a while. And what's so insidious about this one is that. It's so sl- it can be slow. It can it can hit you right away. Like I mentioned, some family, some moms, you know, have this feeling in country when they meet the child, but others it can be slowly eating at them and build up and build up and build up. So maybe you won't get a diagnosis until a year after. Okay, but, yeah, and and uh, the bottom line is that post-adoption depression can absolutely impact the parent's ability to attach to their child. Um, Go ahead. I was going to say something. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, it's like absolutely because, you know, especially attaching to an older child, it's work. You have it doesn't happen naturally by just taking care of the child. You have to work at it. You have to make um you have to make opportunities to play with your child. So it's it's almost like another job. And so if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling disappointed, I mean, the reality is if your expectations aren't met, you're going to feel disappointed. And then you're probably going to feel guilty about feeling disappointed. And so they won't have the energy to do it. And so it's really understanding and being gentle with yourself and being and, and to remember that they're just feelings. They don't make you a good person or a bad person. They're just feelings, and there are people that can help you with that. Yeah. Exactly, and, and the, the second bottom line is uh, it is not uncommon and you can get help. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. You are listening to an interview on creating a family. 
we primarily keep in touch with our community through our weekly e-newsletter. We have two of them, one for adoption and one for infertility. You choose. We let you know about the latest developments in adoption as well as the upcoming resources that are going to be the new resources that we will be uh, putting out that week. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter on any page, top right corner of our website, creatingafamily.org. Another cause for, uh, uh, or one, another reason that parents often struggle with attaching to an adopted child, particularly an, an older adopted child, but actually this could happen even with an infant, and that's the concept of mismatched temperament. Um, I think that is powerful. Uh, I think we um, we assume that our children are going to be like us. Now, I think that's a myth, regardless of whether your child joins you <laughs> through birth or adoption. But uh, but temperament does have a, a, a strong genetic component. So uh, I'd like for you to talk a little about how uh, uh, a clash of personality, a mismatched temperament, that type of thing, uh, can influence our feelings of attachment to our children. Well, it certainly can, and I think that, um, you know, there are different schools of thought on temperament. Um, there can be, and and I agree with you that even in birth families, there can be very different temperaments, and one child may not seem to fit, Not I don't want to say fit in, that's not the right term, but aren't as closely matched temperamentally as their parents, and I think that it's important to find areas of common connection, to search out those areas where the temperament of your adopted child can overlap with temperament areas of the rest of the mem- the rest of the family members. Does that make sense, Don? It absolutely does. Let me tell a story. I um, I, I it really does. And 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 what I always think is that. As the parent, as the as the older person, supposedly more mature person, we have the power to to seek this out, I and mean, it's not realistic to expect a child to. There was, and I've told this story before, uh, but it's been a long time. Uh, there, and, and I won't uh, remember it exactly. It was a, a a man who was had just felt he had absolutely nothing in common. Again, a child that had been adopted at an older age. Um, and, he, and truthfully, he didn't even didn't really like the child in the least. He, he didn't respect the things that she was interested in. He didn't have much respect for. She was not interested in any of the things that that he held dear. And she was a huge soap opera lover, and he detested soap operas. And he um, and and we were talking about the idea that uh, it is up to the parent to find an area of connection. Um, or, or as you said, an area of common connection. Now, although it wasn't a common connection, he decided that he would try, and he did it reluctantly. But he um, came home the first day after having this discussion and sat down with her. It was a soap opera that came on after, right about the time he was coming home. And he sat down with her, and he watched it, and he hated every moment of it. Uh, the next day, he came home, he sat down, and he watched the soap opera, and he kept doing it. And pretty soon he knew all the characters, and he uh, <laughs> began to you know, identify with some of the characters, and he began to wonder about them, much to his chagrin. 
and he uh, came home uh, one day, and his daughter immediately moved over on the couch, and she said, here's your spot. He came, and he sat down. <laughs> Next week, she had popped popcorn for them, and they sat there and watched it. And one, and this is about a couple of months later, and uh, he was driving up, and he had had bad traffic, so he was running late. And the daughter was standing at the door, was standing at the window looking out, and opened the door and it turned the volume up really loud. When he was getting out of the car, she said, hurry up, Daddy. We're about five minutes in. And she was telling, Johnny did this, and, and we turned out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and he said it really made a difference that all of a sudden they had something to talk about. And, and he, he understood something about her, if, not, if only because, although I don't think he ever became a huge, you know, fan of other soap operas. <laughs> He found an area that, and it was up to him to do it. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I I assume that's what you mean when you say that we as parents, it's up to us to find an area of common connection. Absolutely, yes. It is the parents' job. We're the adults, yeah. Yeah. And And look uh, at at where they could grow from there. That's just a wonderful story. So now they have that connection, and they can take that connection that they have between each other and take it to other places. Right, because they have this connection. And they, mm-hmm. they as opposed to him thinking of her as just an alien being that, that has nothing mm-hmm. in common. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think another uh, common, uh, or perhaps not common, uh, cause for uh, parents to fail to attach is unresolved infertility grief. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to read to you, this is actually also a comment that was on the blog that I mentioned, I feel like a beast, but I don't love my adopted child. Uh, And uh, uh, let me read you this. I am so glad to find that I am not alone. My husband and I adopted a seven-year-old from Asia. The child was adopted and returned once from, from a domestic family. He had been rejected by his biological parents and the second couple. Despite all the trauma, Mm -hmm. he is a healthy, super active, very well-adjusted, and happy kid. Everyone who meets him falls in love with him immediately. My husband and him have developed a bond already that I can see a mile away. In my case, I just can't seem to feel that joy, love, or bond that I'm supposed to feel as a mom. I went through five IVF treatments with no success. After almost three years, I am still grieving my loss. I am sure that that if this I am not sure if this is preventing me from bonding with this child. I look at him and I see no physical resemblance or anything that makes me want to hold him. It is extremely difficult to fake my love around others as quote he is a lovely, happy, adorable kid end quote so let's talk a little about infertility grief and how it can impact our ability to attach mhm. And I think the infertility grief um, crops up throughout the lifespan. So, um, so some examples are so there's there's that exactly. You know, this is not an infant. This child doesn't even look like me. The child will will adapt some of the behaviors of the adoptive parent, and um, the adoptive parent does have quite a huge influence even on the biology of the child. Um, Daniel Siegel talks about this in some of his teachings where our own attachment styles and the way we relate to the child literally causes um, the nervous system, the brain, the neuron connections in the brain to change. So we do have an impact on the biology of the child to some extent. Um, but I think accepting that grief 
I think acknowledging that, yeah, this child doesn't look like me. This child probably wouldn't be doing X if I had birthed this child. And and my experience in working with parents around this issue is that it tends to crop up at like milestones. So like maybe at eighth grade graduation or maybe even kindergarten graduation, you know, there can be thoughts as the parents are, is sitting there in the audience watching their child walk across the stage. I wonder what my birth child would have been like or how this would have been different if this had been a birth child. And I, I think that's totally normal. Grief is a very complicated feeling. And it's like all feelings, it's best to just accept it. I mean, I would never, ever suggest that parents say anything like that to the child, but certainly I would hope that it's an open subject between spouses because, you know, there, there's going to be processing every every step along the way. And even when they get to grandchildren, there can be some wonderment about, like, you know, what if this had been my genetic grandchild? Mm-hmm. The love is going to be the same, but you know, just you know, would they have, would they have had my skill in whatever it is? That, I think that's really normal, and to accept that, and to and to talk about it in the proper arena. Uh, we have a course on uh, uh, adoption. I mean, I'm sorry, infertility, grief after adopting, uh, coping with, um, and mm-hmm. it was with Carol Lieber Wilkins. And she, what I uh-huh. I so appreciate in that course is that she was very gave some very specific suggestions of things that we can do to help us resolve the grief. Whether or not it ever completely goes away is is you know mm-hmm. as with all things it leaves its scar. It makes us part of who we are, but we mm-hmm. can get it under control. And and mm-hmm. what I particularly appreciate is the the specificness of her suggestions. Uh, and so I, I would I would just recommend that uh, for people who feel like uh, they are they're really uh, that, that infertility grief could be part uh, of what they're struggling with. So, what are some of the signs of a failure of parental attachment? Although to be honest, I think sometimes we know just because we're not feeling it. You know, we just don't feel it. But what are what are some of the signs uh, other than that feeling of being a, a babysitter? Uh, maybe starting to take shortcuts in the level of care. Um, so that might be, so a person might find themselves saying, oh, it really doesn't have to be, or let me put this a different way. They might find themselves saying, oh, that's good enough. It's really not that important. Um, they could, you know, a spouse might observe it. Um, as far as level of care, yeah, the, they could see maybe if there are more than one child, more than one child in the home, they could see some preferential. It might appear preferential um, treatment, not towards the one that they are having a difficult time with, but towards all the other ones. There can be, um, you know, maybe not taking as much interest in how they're doing in preschool or in school. It can be. It's kind of pulling back a bit on that personal part of you that you put into your kids. Now, I don't mean any extent of neglect or abuse or anything like that, but just that it's not giving your all. Not that we give our all every day. That's inhumanly possibly. But, you know, feeling like I'm not, I do better for the other kids than I do for this one. 
You know, I don't know if this is, um, I have not seen any research on this, but I have noticed anecdotally that this issue of not feeling attached, or, or, or maybe people are just talking about it more in this situation, but I, I certainly see it in kinship adoptions. Uh, and I've, I've mm-hmm. wondered, have you seen this, maybe it's not fair to say more often, or yeah, let me ask, have you seen it more often when uh, families are ad- adopting a child through kinship? No, I haven't seen it more often. I, I just think that the issues are different, especially if it's um, grandparent adoption, because they're thinking they're done. <laughs> and yeah. here they have to dig up the energy to like go at it yet again. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. So yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen it more. You know, I've wondered if, and again, this could be because they're more comfortable talking about it as well. It's not mm-hmm. actually happening. I'm wondering because I, I've seen more people uh, ask questions about it uh, who have adopted. But you know, oftentimes when people are adopting uh, a member of their extended family, they've been approached. They were not actively choosing this as a way of of building their family. There is a child in need um, that is in your family, and they have been approached to parent the child. So in many ways, it feels like it has been – it wasn't part of their plan. It's been foisted mm-hmm. upon them. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they stepped up because it was the right thing to do. And also, mm-hmm. to be honest, I often uh, question how uh, – that, that I think the preparation that kidship parents receive is often less, sometimes because they're yes. not willing to accept more preparation. I think that's true as well, but I do think it's it's less uh, because at this point, especially through foster care, it's the preferred outcome, and so there's not a huge, you know, push push to try to uh, uh, prepare them in advance. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. One of the things I've run across in those situations, Don, is that the old frustration, anger, resentment towards the parent. So maybe it was a close cousin or maybe it was a sibling and they were always covering for that sibling or cousin growing up. Now, yet again, they're covering for them. And some of that resentment and anger can spill over onto the child. Oh, that's so true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm cleaning up your mess yet once again. Yeah. Even though they don't actually, they would certainly not say that and they certainly know that it's not the correct way to feel, that this child is certainly not a mess, mm-hmm. but a natural feeling that you would do it. All right, mm-hmm. so let's talk about some of the things that parents can do. They've adopted a child. They are struggling because uh, sometimes the child may be struggling with attachment, but sometimes the child is attaching quite well, and the parents know that it really is mostly them. Uh, but either way, the parents realize that they are not attaching as they should or as they, as they mm-hmm. want to with this child. Mm-hmm. What are some things that uh, that you can do? And, and the first one I want to ask is a specific, something we tell people often, is fake it till you make it. Is that good advice? Um people there's different views on that <laughs> so mm-hmm. some clinicians say that some clinicians don't i mean obviously you have to care for the child but um my personal opinion is that kids know when you're faking it so kids you know there's different types 
of let me put that a different way there's different degrees of security in attachment and so when you're faking it kids can pick up on that and their degree of security will be less because they know something's amiss here so what i prefer to tell parents this is what i do is to acknowledge those feelings that's fine to feel that way but they need to um, find some place where they can get some more clarity on what's going on for them and what it is about this child so i would find um, a blog i would find a therapist i would find an adoption support group it's amazing when you go into support groups and have um, and take the risk of sharing these feelings. How many people come back with, I had that same thing too. And so I, that's, that's, I don't think just faking it till you make it is enough. Let me put it that way. I think you can, it's like skimming the surface, which might work and does work for some people, but not, you know, years down the road you're still faking it yeah I, I hear exactly your point yes fake it till you make it meaning that you take care of the child you go through the motions of reading to him and doing the things trying to make certain that you are are parenting the child in the way that you would have wanted if you were attached but don't stop uh-huh. there yeah don't stop yeah. there that's the key don't stop there you have to yeah. you have to take care of yourself so that those feelings become real but it is true that the act of caring for a child is part of what helps us attach. So, uh, so keep that up as well, um, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and get help. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and especially if there are expectations. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one thing I hear from parents is that, especially with older child, they don't seem grateful. They don't seem to care about all these things that I do for them, and so that resentment. Um, blocks them and that's those are kind of issues that I think they need to be talking to other people about and to see if they can let go of some of those expectations and what we don't you know the kids can kind of and I'm talking about older kids whether from foster care or internationally adopted they're in shock you know it's easy to see them going through the routine of their day and for us to think or forget about all the emotional issues that they are processing and so they may not always be at the place of feeling grateful it might take a long time well um, come on i mean how many of our kids ever really i mean (laughs) maybe i mean my children are getting older now and and i'm still holding out hope and and my eldest is actually beginning to show you know uh, moments of 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 appreciation and, and gratefulness but but none of us should go into parenting expecting that our children are going to give us the accolades and the and the and say on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean that's just whether that child's by birth or adoption, and yet it does. Yeah, it does feel that way, particularly because there's the society says, "Oh gosh, you've done you know, oh you're a hero. Look what you've done. You've taken in this, you know, this sibling group of three, and oh my gosh, you're wonderful." Right. Yeah. Right. But the kids and all the money I spent to get you here and. You don't appreciate oh. it. Yeah. I know, as I was saying that, Don, I was kind of chuckling to myself because the first time my daughter appreciated something I had done was she was like 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm holding out for my 23. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got, yeah, no, okay. Yeah, and I've got a, one just about that age who I haven't had that experience with, but I'm waiting on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure that it's going to happen at any moment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, some other thoughts of of things that we can do. Some that you've already mentioned is uh, when you talk with friends in order to prevent them from trying to solve the problem for you, to be up front and say, don't solve it. I'm not asking you to solve it. No offense, but you don't know enough to solve it. I just need you to, well, maybe you shouldn't say that because that might tick them off. Right, but, right, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> even though that's the truth, but yeah. um, I don't want you to solve it for me. I just need you to listen to me. So being up front on that, you know, saying, uh, telling what we what we need uh, for that. And let's yeah. see some of the others. And, Go ahead. And, you know, we can say that to our spouse, too, because so often I, men, I mean, this is research-based, <clears throat> men want to solve the problem. And so if you just, you know, tell your spouse, I don't need you to solve it, just listen to me. Just, you know, just give me 15 minutes of uninterrupted listening. Yes. And it does wonders. Yeah. It really does wonders. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Some of the others. You just said this, accept it, accept the feeling. It's where you're at right now. It doesn't mean where you'll be mm-hmm. at forever. Um, right. Uh, take physical, uh, take good care of ourselves, which means what I often will say is find one thing that will bring you joy and make sure that that happens and make it a short thing you know, so that you can do it every day. Maybe it's a, you know, mm-hmm. a cup of really good coffee, even though there's an expense associated with it. If you can afford it, Treat yourself, uh, um, and mm-hmm. then once a week do something for yourselves as a couple. If you're in, if you're in a marriage or a, a partnership, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so that you're take care, taking care of that relationship. Um, so some other things in addition that you would a family is is uh, the the parent a parent is not attaching. Other thoughts on specific things that you could recommend, and, and I'll throw one out that I have heard other people do, mm-hmm. and and that is keep a journal. Of one mm-hmm. positive thing the child did this day, or or one way that you can see that this child is trying, or I knew of one family who wrote down one adorable thing about the child. She said she used the word adorable. That was what she was mm-hmm. going to write in her journal, so mm-hmm. that she would start noticing it. And then I would also think it might help to note one thing that you did that day that that you feel like is moving you towards attachment. Any thoughts mm-hmm. on is is that a is that a, a, a faddish type of thing or does that actually um help No, journal no journaling is is really good. I would say um but I'm just concerned if you have the parents write down something that they did that I don't want them to feel pressured to um, have those feelings towards their child because I think that can compound the issue. But maybe to think about, um, well, this could go <clears throat> more of that self-care. So I would want people to exercise. Not, And I'm not talking about going out and running a mile. Walking for 15 minutes a day can change your frame of mind so much. It's like mm-hmm. a miracle. Um so I would want to encourage people to do that. You know, something that I learned from a foster mom, and this just sticks with me, and I I used to go in and do it with my daughter, and I do it with my grandsons now, is to go in and sit by their bed when they're sleeping and just watch them while they're sleeping. You know, just so innocent. 
Yeah, it's you know, that is kind such of, a, yes, because it's easier to love. I mean, all children are just beautiful in their sleep. So that is, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's so a great one. I've actually heard that, too. Have you? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. And I mentioned before trying to let go of expectations. It can be hard to do, but then you give more opportunities for your child's lovability to shine or for you to be able to see it. It's there, but for you to be able to see it. And um, that's a big one. And then I think we mentioned um, finding things to do that is fun for both of you. So, you know, you might – this is something else that I think expectations can come into it about is that you love doing um, playing ball with your dad when you were growing up, and you've been so looking forward to playing catch with your daughter. But she just hates it because she's not very good at it, and she just can't get it. So it's torture for her. So she's, you know, acting out, doesn't want to do this. To keep trying other things then, to like, okay, let go of that. That's not the fit. But there are going to be fits out there of things that both of you like to do together and can enjoy doing together. And it's trial and error. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try something else. There's so many fun things to do. Oh, I think that is such a good one. I, you were preaching to the choir here. I think that one of the most important things that we can do as a family to to to, to bring fa- family unity together is to, as a family, have fun together. Mm-hmm. And I think that we so mm-hmm. often, in particular as our children age, let that drop off. And uh, and it shouldn't be. Gosh, as our kids age, they're they're more fun. We can do more things with them. But you're exactly right. It requires us to be flexible. So mm-hmm. it's such a good mm-hmm. point. Uh, again, it goes back to the temperament thing. Um, it requires parental flexibility because it's unrealistic to expect it, the child. And, you know, I guess it comes up to the uh, spending time with this child, even if you're not feeling attached. Uh, that feels like that's important, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It is. Mm-hmm. Very much so. You know, big brothers and big sisters, probably everybody's familiar with that program. And those people get really attached to those, to their little sisters and brothers. And they see them once a week, but they, they listen to them. They're kind of open about who they are as a person and try to find things that they can enjoy doing together. Have you found, is there is there a direct correlation um, uh, to the age of the child at adoption, to the difficulty parents might have on attaching? Is it directly correlated? The older the child, the the greater the difficulty, that, uh, the, the more likely that you will see parents struggling to attach. Or is that, or is, is, it, is it not that direct? My personal opinion, Dawn, and you might know this as soon as I say this, is that I don't think it's the age of kids. I think it's the attachment style of the parent. So I think certain styles will have a harder time with older kids. So I'm thinking, I think your um, audience, has, you've had people on talking about the adult, adult attachment styles. and so We have a course um, on that, yes, with Dan Siegel. Yeah, we do have a course on right. uh, parental attachment with Dan Siegel. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. So, of course, the secure parent is going to be um, is going to do well with any age. I think that the um, if somebody tends to be a little bit more of the dismissing style of parenting, which I that's what I grew up with, so I have some of that in me. I know it. 
But um, that style has a, has stronger expectations on how things should be, and values are more firmly entrenched for them. And so I think certain styles will have a harder time with older kids because older kids come home with, you know, some stronger life views, some stronger values. Some, you know, they have their own set of the way things should be, and so those things can clash. And um, that doesn't mean that it's over with. It just means like, okay, we got to step back here and take a look and figure things out. Now, there are some um, situations that I have helped out with where the older child really did not want to be adopted. And, you know, they'll say, I just want to go home as soon as I'm 18. I want to go back to China. And so there's a lot of grief that that child has to work on. And that can be really hard for a parent who has so wanted to help a child, and especially an older child, to give them an opportunity to have this child want to go back to, and they don't understand what's waiting for them, that there's nothing waiting for them. And so that's that's really hard for um, parents to navigate that with their child, to be able to hold their child's grief and still stay and still work on the, on themselves in offering attachment to this child. So it's, and, and it I, can be very difficult. Let me just mention difficult. that that, can, that would happen in, in foster care uh, adoption as well. Absolutely. Although we, Absolutely. we attempt to uh, take into account the child's desires of, of being adopted, particularly with, as, as elder teens. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, some kids simply, um, that's just not... Again, perhaps an unrealistic expectation of life as it would have been like, but you know that pull towards uh, birth family is super super strong. You mentioned attachment mm-hmm. style of parents. Can you mm-hmm. give us just very that is a uh, has been we have an entire course on it, but mm-hmm. uh, but without that, can you give us a just a very uh, brief overview of what you mean by our attachment style? Uh, and how that can influence, uh, and then uh, and then briefly how people can find out what their attachment style is. Oh, certainly. Um, so there are th- three main attachment styles, and then a fourth one that can be paired with each of these three main ones. And these are developed in each of us by how our parents related to us. And these are established by the time we're one year old, so very early. And it's very subtle ways that our parents taught us of how to relate to back to our parents, which then expands into how we relate to everyone. So about half of the population has a very secure attachment. You know, they trust um, that they'll be taken care of. They have a positive worldview. Um, so that's about 50% of us, and those are the parents that are very flexible and open to whatever it is their child brings to them. The Another style um, which the developers of this call the dismissive style, is when they were growing up, their parents um, were gave them the message that we want you to be independent and do things on your own. We want you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, so to speak. And so um, that's 
that's the message they got from their parents. So these kids learn not to go to their parents for things. They learn to figure things out by themselves, so much so that this stands out very much by the time they're a year old. It can be measured. And then another style is what the developers of this called preoccupied, meaning that we kind of have some leftover issues from our let me rephrase that, Don. So when when these kids were infants, their parents sometimes um, their parents were not consistent in how they related to them. So sometimes if they went to their parent with an owie, their parent was very loving. Sometimes if they went, their parents would get scared, even more scared than the child. Um, so there, you know. There's, they got inconsistent, so they can be inconsistent in their relationships. Meaning, warm, they can run hot and cold. Let me just put it down, put it that way. And then the fourth kind is what's called unresolved, meaning somebody has an unresolved trauma or loss in their life that is still unconsciously um, exerting itself on how they relate to people. So that's it in a nutshell, and I'm so glad that you have that course because it's so important for um, parents to be aware of this because this can help so much with those expectations. I'm kind of surprised that half the population is secure. Um, that's actually hopeful. <laughs> that, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, um, so how if a uh particularly let's say someone is struggling with attaching to their adopted child, um, uh-huh. this is something they may want to explore further. How would they go about uh-huh. finding out about their own attachment style so that they can understand but, better how to how to work with this uh, this child? Uh-huh. Well, I think um, Dan Siegel, we keep referring to him, he's so wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, has a, he has a book called Parenting from the Inside Out. And so I would recommend um, people start by reading that book. So it talks about how the messages we got as a child in relating can be interfering with our parenting. You know, we might keep repeating the same mistake that we don't even want to do anymore, and that can help with that. And then the other thing, there are, um, and I can't refer people to specific places, but I would encourage them to go on the um, Internet and search for Adult Attachment Interview. Mm-hmm. and see if they can find somebody that will do it for them. It's quite involved and can be um, expensive, um, but it, there's so much insight that can be gained in that hour and a half of their time. It's just immeasurable. I had mine done on me, um, I think it was like six or seven years ago, and I'm still processing it. I'm still learning things from it that are improving my um, parenting and just how I relate to people. Yeah. All right. Excellent. And uh, the last question I want to ask, because I think this happens um, more frequently than we're comfortable admitting, and that is when one parent attaches to the child and another parent is not. Uh, Mm -hmm. It seems to me that that uh, presents some unique challenges, um, both advantages and disadvantages, so if a family is is in that situation where they've got one parent that does feel quite attached and the other parent that does not, thoughts on how to work with those specific families? That's very hard. And some families, um, you know, and it's not always 
because an adopted child was brought in, it can be birth parent, birth children that have very different attachments with each parent mm-hmm. also. So yeah. it's not unique to adoption. And I think I would suggest um, counseling for that. I mean, of course, parents can talk to each other about it, but I would be I would be concerned that without a third person there, that um, that there can be anger. There can be resentment. Uh, it, there can be all these feelings that might prevent parents from having a productive discussion without another person there to help them with it. And by that, I mean a counselor, like marriage, maybe a marriage and family counselor or an adoption competent counselor, um, to help them navigate those those waters that they have such different feelings. Because the one that is attached so often gets so angry at the one that's not. And how can you not, you know, attach to this cute child? What's wrong with you? You aren't the person I thought you were. Those are all the things that I've heard from families and um, in these situations. And, you know, they're so strong that it's, there's such strong and deep feelings that the parents can have towards one another. Not insolvable, not insolvable. They can be solved, but um, I think that the, a third neutral party would be very helpful. And I think sometimes fear is a factor for the family, for the, the parent that is feeling very attached. Oftentimes there is fear because they they may think that the that that the adoption will have to be dissolved uh and that does happen yeah and and then there's a huge amount of resentment because they mm-hmm. feel attached they feel connected and they don't mm-hmm. want this and so then there's blame and uh uh all I think sometimes it helps to understand uh, for both parents to understand the complexities that can go into attaching mm-hmm. and and some of the mm-hmm. causes that can cause someone to struggle with attaching to a child mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to take some of the blame away. Uh, but you're saying that it, that a uh, of course we always recommend, if at all possible, for people to see a therapist that has competency in adoption. But don't let that stop you. If that's if if, uh, if all you can find is a, uh, a marriage or family therapist uh, just for the um, uh, for you as a as a as a couple. Don't let that stop you. Um, seek that out if you can't find a adoption competent therapist. Mm-hmm. And we have mm-hmm. resources on our website, creatingafamily.org, to help you find an adoption competent therapist. And and in the past that has been harder, but I think we're making some pretty good progress right now into um, uh, finding, you know, getting uh, help and uh, getting more therapists with adoption competency. And and one suggestion, uh, an easy suggestion, I won't say easy because going back to the agency can sometimes be hard, but often uh, adoption agency, the agency you worked with, will have uh, counselors who have adoption competency and may be able to help and work with you. Uh, So that's uh, one place to begin. Yes, absolutely. I would I would start there. If they don't have it, they um, hopefully can refer you, can refer parents yes. to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, hopefully. And there are some other uh, um, uh, resources online and, uh, that are training institutes that uh, are training family uh, uh, therapists mm-hmm. uh, for adoption issues. Mm-hmm. So we can mm-hmm. uh, recommend those as well. Thank you, Abby Smith, for talking to us today about 
what I truly think is such an important topic of, uh, and, and, and as I said at the beginning, one that, that carries such shame and guilt that uh, thank you for helping to bring some light to uh, the topic of, of when a family or when a parent struggles to attach to a child. Let me take a moment now to announce that Creating a Family has a new underwriter, uh, Jockey Being Family Foundation. Their mission is to strengthen adoptive families through post-adoption services. As their founder, Deborah Waller, says, one failed adoption is one too many. You can support their mission by buying a bear or a blanket at their website, jockeybeingfamily.com, and we truly thank them for their support. To our audience, Uh, If you would like to help us grow, and we hope that you will, will you do us a quick favor and please rate this podcast on the iTunes podcast. Uh, Go to whatever uh, you're using, uh, whatever device you're using to listen to this. Uh, If you're on your iPhone, you're probably listening uh, via the uh, iTunes podcast uh, app. Uh, You can go from there and uh, click on uh, just our name, Creating a Family, and can rate us uh, very quickly. It's a star rating, and we would truly appreciate it. To get more information about Abby Smith, uh, you can go to the Holt International website, and that is holtinternational.org. Again, holtinternational.org, and Abby is a wealth of information on this, and quite frankly, on just about any adoption-related topic. I think you will uh, learn a lot. Uh, Thanks so much, Abby. Uh, And for our audience, I will see you again next week. And now, an ad from Dad. All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.